Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Welcome to Webcology. Webcology is the show that takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Our guides will take you on a journey into web marketing and bring you the experts and the information so that you can further explore the web marketing world. Now, here are the hosts of Webcology, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Webcology here on WebmasterRadio.fm. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media and Dave Davies from Beanstalk SEO. It is Thursday, the 24th of May, 2012. Which is amazing. Yeah, I can't believe it's the 24th of May, uh, 2012. It feels like January 1st, 2012, except that it's 87 degrees Fahrenheit in Toronto. Dave Davies out in Victoria, BC. How you doing today, brother? I, I'm doing absolutely fantastic, and I'm glad to hear you say Fahrenheit because... Uh, you know, if that was in Celsius, you'd be having some problems. Um, uh, yep. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not having the uh, gorgeous weather outside uh, that you are, but hey, I mean, I'm I'm stuck indoors in an office today anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, we know about a lot of that going around. Um, of course, the, the Digital Always Media office has the backyard office in full swing right now. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not there. I'm inside for noise and light control and all that such. A lot of people have been inside. Uh, a lot of insider stuff happening this week. You know what? <laughs> we got to talk about the Facebook IP dough. Um, we can't avoid the Facebook IP dough. Um, so that's that's one of the things we got coming up. Um, <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg, uh, you know, as a... Uh, he lights another cigar with a $1,000 share certificate. I'm sure, I'm sorry, a $32.32 share certificate. I'm sure he feels terrible about exactly what happened. Yeah, 
We all feel terrible about exactly what happened. Actually, you know what? That's the weirdest thing. None of us know exactly how we feel about what happened last Friday with um, Facebook's uh, flatlining, failing, flailing, farked up IPO offering. Um, what's the right word for it? Um, overvalued, overrated, overinflated, overtly farked up. Um yeah, it was more of an IPO than an IPO. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's 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 no debate in that. I mean, when 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 we're searching for words to describe it, um, somewhere in 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 my soul, the word vindicated, uh, justified, <laughs> are, are coming to mind. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if you had a chance to, to read because I was I was blogging away while while it was all going on last uh, last Friday over on the Beanstalk blog and. When I was valuing things and I, I'd compared it to Ford, right, and, and in its valuation and looked at, you know, their market cap versus, you know, Facebook's during during all of this and, and basically using some fairly simple math. I didn't make my readers do it, but figured out that if if Ford was being valued at the same rate that Facebook was based on quarterly earnings and, and this and that, they would have been able to more than eliminate the U.S. Uh, deficit in 2011, and still have like a trillion dollars left over, right? If they if they were getting the astronomical valuation that we're giving to tech companies based on revenue in versus valuation, um, so to to see this happen, I mean, there's there's just part of me. I mean, we've talked about this repeatedly on the show about the the overvaluation of of these tech companies, uh, and to me, it's just a, a case of I mean, it, it hasn't gone down far enough to to hit my comfort level um, with their valuation over revenue in. I mean, I mean, if somebody comes to me, though, I mean, uh, I'll be the first to say this. If somebody came to me and said, hey, we're going to give you the same multiple valuation of your company over annual revenue in 2012, you know, I'll let them go even further back. I'll let them go back to like 2007 if they want. If you want to give me the same multiples, fantastic. <laughs> I'll be on a beach probably in Hawaii pondering what I'll not do with my life because there'll be nothing left for me to have to worry about. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you know, Facebook shares, uh, when they were uh, proposed to open at $38 a share last Friday, that was valued at over 100 times Facebook's uh, annual profits in 2011. Now, even even though the valuations were insane, uh, and again, this is like, oh, I remember we were talking last week, it, it, it's, it's like measuring kinetic energy versus measuring potential energy. Ford is kinetic energy. That's making stuff. That's energy in motion. A lot of the stuff with Facebook is the indefinite potential. Um, 900 million users is nothing to sneeze at. So, you know, the 100 times, the 100 times uh, annual, pro annual revenue valuation is all about the potential of those eyeballs. And such hype came around it that before the IPO, on Thursday evening, uh, a week ago today, Facebook's shares, you know, for the IPO, were 25% oversubscribed in Asian markets. In other words, there just wasn't enough shares available to satisfy the pre-orders. In Asian markets, they had, they'd ordered like 25% more shares than were available to those markets. So this causes a whole. Uh, this caused a bunch of existing shareholders to release about twenty-five percent more shares than originally anticipated. That created a glut in shares because a lot of the people who'd pre-subscribed had actually 
ordered far more blocks than they actually uh, of shares than they actually wanted, and they were prepared to cancel those orders. Right. Um, just as the as the bell opened, so major cancellations happened really early in Friday's trading day, and that coupled with the increase of uh, the the glut in shares, twenty five percent more, caused absolute chaos on Nasdaq systems. After eleven a.m. Trading at trading shut down for about a half hour because the Nasdaq system crashed on the absurd volume of people who wanted in on this. And by 11 a.m., early investors are forced to start to, to, into a sell position because the shares are starting to dip below um, the expected $40 mark and you know later below its opening mark of $38. Once the sell-off started, it was join, like join in, sell whatever you can now, or be prepared to hold on for an indefinite long haul. Remembering that Nasdaq was totally overwhelmed by by volume and early, you know, uh, the volume of early interest in the shares. The system shut down on on heavy initial volume. The delay tainted expectations for the rest of the day, and for the first couple hours, a bunch of investors didn't actually know the exact value of their buys and sells. Absurdly screwy. These things are usually worked out in milliseconds. Now. NASDAQ and Morgan Stanley and a, a number of other brokerages are having to go back to check their paper files against millions, hundreds of millions of trades. Extraordinary. But it becomes more of a cluster <laughs> when it was found out today that Morgan Stanley, or it was found out a couple of days ago, I should say, that Morgan Stanley warned a small group of institutional investors that thought Facebook was going to fall below the $38 uh, opening price. They informed this small group of investors about an hour before trading opened last Friday. Small investors were left in the dark and left holding the bag while the big fish found their way out the doors as fast as they could. Gerard Gibbs, a law firm in San Francisco, same one who filed a pretty big class action against Yahoo a little while ago, has filed a class action lawsuit against Facebook. This is going to be in court until 2020 or longer, Facebook mightn't even exist when all this stuff gets settled. Yeah, this is... Um, well, it moves it onto, a, onto an entirely new realm, doesn't it? I mean, this is just onto things that are inherently wrong. I mean, we're going beyond the wrong in my, hey, we're, we're counting money as, as this, this artificial thing that doesn't actually need anything to back it up. Um, and onto wrong, like you broke the trust and laws. Um, so this isn't just, uh, you know, my view of the, the perception of money being a, a little screwy when it comes to stuff like this. Hey, you know what? I'll, let's call it space space. Brutally screwy um, when it comes to things to the point where, you know, I mean, we've got ridiculous valuations. Um, and on to, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, this this is going to be just a huge nail. Um, so it's it's... It's just miserable, just miserable for them. Not surprising. I mean, I'm not even kind of a little bit surprised, and I don't know how much the folks over at Facebook. I wouldn't mind bringing bringing Rob on the call really soon, but um, as 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 we're as we're working to get Rob into the studio, um, Dave, how do you think this is going to affect any other any other upcoming IPO? Um, I think it's going to have you know. Uh, 
in my opinion, now now you know where I stand on on the valuations here. So in my Mm -hmm. opinion, I think it's going to create a much more skeptical, much more realistic view um, of IPOs in tech companies down the road. I mean, you know, hoping that investors have a a long term memory um, and and remember what happened here and that uh, smaller investors uh, specifically go in a little more gun shy going, what don't I know? Um, What am I not being told? Indeed. Exactly. You know, um, last week we were uh, we were talking about the value of Facebook advertising, the nine hundred million or so eyeballs, contextually interest based targeted eyeballs. Apparently, um, I got a big complaint about Facebook ads. I think it's bad inventory. Some people say it's bad targeting. Um, will this debacle? Do you reckon? Do you think this is going to have any effect on how people feel about Facebook as an advertising platform or as a company to do business with? You know, I, I think that – I mean, that's a great question. I think from where I stand anyway, um, I look at things as my bottom line. So if I can look at Facebook the same as I used to, hey, here's the millions of users they've got. There's a whack of them in my demographic. Can I make my clients or myself money? That's that's the only question I need to be able to answer positively here. Uh, so I don't view this so much as a gee, this is a black spot on them from my from my view of them as an advertising network. Because to me, as long as I'm making two bucks for every one that I spend, I'm a happy camper. Um, but you know, some some people may some people who who take a more you know. Distort. Well, I shouldn't say distorted in in a negative way, but but don't view it from just the the pure dollar in dollar out perspective, and and start looking at well, do I feel warm and fuzzy about Facebook? You know, yeah, it it could have a a detrimental impact on them. There, it'll be that will be a most interesting thing to see, and how uh, Facebook deals with this um, in the future. Hey, one last piece of news that's that's just sort of breaking now. Um, Apparently, the Nasdaq isn't terribly pleased with Facebook or terribly pleased with Morgan Stanley or anybody's behavior around Facebook. And Facebook is now looking at the NSE, uh, the NYSE as a as a new home. It's possible Facebook may be moved off the Nasdaq and over to the New York Stock Exchange because, um, well, because screw all of you. That's why. Um, <laughs> again, I, I just don't think that 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 uh, that, that the, the Nasdaq is terribly pleased with what happened. No, fair enough. I mean, that's, you know, kind of almost unfortunate. Or They caused part of these problems. Yeah. <laughs> like early on with the initial delays and things like that. Um, this is, you know, they were in part responsible for some of the issues early on in the IPO, like the first, you know, sort of hour or so of trading. Well, I mean, it was less than that, but they impacted um, a large chunk. And you failed, yeah. I- exactly. So I, I think it's it's kind of evil to, to yeah, I mean, not evil, but. You know, I think it's a bit misguided to to drop them from that perspective when they create a part of these things. They they should wait for it to settle out um, and sort of see what happens. I mean, at the end of the day, seriously, it's still a well valued stock. If they had come in with initial going, hey, our valuations, you know, about eighty billion dollars, still overvalued in my opinion. You know, they they'd be in a very different spot right now, <laughs> right now, right? They would have had that pop. They would have had. You know all of that fun stuff that that, that people hope for. So, um, you know, I, I would put my responsibility on that one uh, squarely on the initial valuation. And you know, I'm sure the folks over at Facebook were really happy about it. But think realistically about it, and, and the, it was the people that gave it that valuation to me 
um, that are really the culpable parties here because it was obviously overvalued. I saw it. You saw it. Tons of people saw it. There were chats on the on you know sort of Nasdaq forums and things like that talking about how overvalued it was. Everybody yet, knew it. And yet, tons of people jumped in anyway. Uh, so you know what? Sometimes things defy logic. Here's another thing that defines logic. Totally defies logic. You remember the RIAA, Recording Industry of America Association? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These are the kind of people who think SOPA is a good idea. You know, who think that internet restrictions are necessary to uh, stop pirates from cutting into their profits. They are so serious about stopping pirates from cutting into their profits that they're suing LimeWire again. You remember LimeWire? Peer-to-peer <laughs> networking uh, service? Yeah, I know where you're going. Yeah, I sure do. So in October 2010, LimeWire was forced to shut down. A, uh, district, a federal district court judge in the States um, ruled that file sharing functions had to be shut down because of, uh, you know, it's providing a platform for, for, for copyright infringement. So the RIAA got LimeWire shut down. Now, they want to recoup some of the losses they blame on LimeWire. And so they're suing LimeWire for $72 trillion. <laughs> yeah. So that makes people, you know, that, that makes uh, a curious mind jump over to Wikipedia to try to figure out what the entire global economy is worth. So apparently, and I'm not exactly sure how you measure this, but apparently, if you take everything on Earth and it add its value together, you get a figure of about $61.5 trillion, which um, is $11 trillion lower than what the RIAA is suing LimeWire for. So essentially, the Recording Industry of America Association is suing LimeWire for everything on Earth and then some. That's, that's Even interesting. Even Pato Bear couldn't download enough Justin Bieber and Miley Cyrus <laughs> videos to come up with $72 trillion worth of value. Well, it might have been for Pato Bear. Who knows? He's, he's, a, he's a warped thing from what I hear. But um, <laughs> um, like seriously, these are the same people who come up with legislation like SOPA. These are the people who have um, lobbyists. In Washington and in Brussels. These are the bastards who are making the web unsafe for innovation. And we're supposed to take them seriously. And this is real. I'm not making this up. This is a real oh. lawsuit. Yeah. I, I wish know. I was making this up. Oh, hi vey. Okay, just got a message from the studio. We're trying to get Robert Guignard. Uh, Dave, why don't you preamble the next, the next segment we have coming up? We're going to go to break. We're going to be back with Dr. Evil himself. But why is Dr. Evil coming into the studio? Um, well, uh, and uh, full disclaimer here for our, for our listeners. I am, uh, or, or Beanstalk rather, um, you know, is, is, is working with the, the company Zoom file on the, on the launch of their new application. I'll let Rob talk about what it does and, and this sort of thing. Very successful launch, and and so we're going to be chatting with Robert about what it does, which does impact uh, internet users, and also just a, a little bit more about how you take successfully uh, uh, an older and and in some cases free product um, and, and transition it over into a into a successful 
um, paid model. So we're going to be chatting with Robert about that. But until then, we've got to take a little break to uh, have our own paid model here called advertising. So this is Dave Davies from Beanstalk SEO, joined as always by uh, Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media here on webmasterradio.fm. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology will be back after this short break. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use certifiedknowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. How far do your ads reach? You don't have to fly around the world for the right consumers and clients to find your business. What you need is profit through performance. Location 3 Media helps you to increase your brand's findability and performance. Let Location 3 Media help you create efficient and effective online marketing campaigns that fit your needs and get you results. We know every click starts a journey. Where will your brand be on the path? Visit Location3Media.com. Rise links and web indexes. Take a bow to the largest link map in the world. Majestic SEO. Majestic SEO wields its virtual sort with speed and accuracy to deliver detailed reports of your company's link data and that of your competition. Let Majestic SEO make you your own king of internet marketers and join the crusade of clients and agencies that have chosen the noble choice for link intelligence. MajesticSEO.com Maximize ROI to use your time and let Majestic wield its mighty sword. MajesticSEO.com It's good to be king. Radio's virtual autobahn. WebmasterRadio.fm Moving at the speed of light. WebmasterRadio.fm We're everywhere. Commercials off. Now back to Webcology, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Here are the host, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome back to Webcology here on webmasterradio.fm. It is the 24th of May, 2012, and uh, we're about to be joined by Rob Gagnon, otherwise known as Dr. Evil, um, from Zoom Data Services. Hello oh, I'm there. I'm uh, Robert's here. I'm here. We made it. We made mysteries of Skype. <laughs> Robert, you know what? I don't think we, I don't know if we've had you on Webcology before. I know we've wanted you on this show for years. Dude, finally, welcome here. Thank you very much, Jim. Appreciate it. How's it going? It's going really well. It's actually sunny for the past hour here in Victoria, so that's, that's <laughs> awesome. 
Oh man, get outside and take it while you can. Um, <laughs> Zoom file. You guys, you guys launched. Uh, you've taken a product that you developed. Well, it had to be two thousand and five or so, two thousand six. Uh, the original idea started spring of two thousand. Technologically impossible, but it was just a great freaking idea. Well, <laughs> what was the great freaking idea, and what does it become? Well, the sim- the weird thing about it is, is that sending files is about as boring as boiling eggs. It's something that you got to do, but nobody's really all that excited about it, but I was. And what, what I was excited about was just how easy can you make the process. And from that, we started looking at, okay, well, the best way to do it would be, you know, you see the file, you drag it, you send it. I sort of arose an opportunity about three years ago to take a, a fairly unknown concept, which graphics card for doing supercomputing, and finally apply the encryption component to it so that when you dragged and dropped a file, it was instantly encrypted before it was sent. So um, it just changed the game. Okay. So, so this is not so it's, it's drag and drop, much like FTP would be, but along the way, the file gets encrypted. Yeah. Well, basically, what we looked at is that FTP is really awesome if you're a professional web user who's sort of grown up with it. It's, it's, it's a horrible product to expose normal people to. It's uh, designed by nerds. It's covered in buttons and configurability and everything else. And then you've got to learn things like IP addresses. And it's just never been a big ball of fun for anybody. And what we wanted to do was to take the simplicity of email and basically apply it to the ability to send basically any size of file. So if you've got a 20 meg file or a 10 gig file, um, you don't really care that the size is bigger you just want to get rid of it quickly so we wanted to sort of work on okay if we can make it easy to just sort of do conceptually how do we make it work really wicked fast um, underneath the hood well I'm curious like um, I work collaboratively with uh, design teams and writers um, literally around the world and recently we've been using Dropbox yep as a as 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 a method of uh, of moving Great. large files back and forth. Yeah, now, I put something into Dropbox, and as far as I'm concerned, it shows up in my Dropbox file much as it would if I moved it from one place to another on my hard drive. Yep, I'm satisfied. Boom, transaction done. Yep. In reality, my computer is now just starting to send that file to the <laughs> other subscribers to that Dropbox, and it might actually take. 10, 15 minutes, depending on how busy my, uh, my node is, yep. to get that file to, uh, to the people I'm working with. But I'm satisfied because, boom, it's appeared in my Dropbox. Yeah, Dropbox is a really good tool for um, with collaborative environments where you're trying to access documents from different points and be able to access it. So we've got no problem with Dropbox, except an important factor. Um, Dropbox isn't secure. Uh, basically, big bucket, and you get to put your stuff into it. But once the documents are in there, they're exposed. As long as you're doing stuff you're cool with being, you know, leaked accidentally or stolen, it, it, it's a perfectly great technology. 
What we decided to focus on is when you're sending actual documents to just another individual or a group of individuals. So let's say you're sending a contract. Let's say you're doing banking info, doing a, something of significant value. So medical mm-hmm. tests, MRIs, whatnot. Those are not collaborative documents per se. You're not putting them in a central location and trying to access them. You're, you're moving it from one person to another person as part of the chain, and what you're needing to do is to protect that document during transit so that you can't intercept it in the middle. Dropbox is a simple SSL so that when you upload it, it's, it's you know, just sort of passed up server, sort of protected. What we did was took a step back and said, let's encrypt it and compress it before it leaves your desktop. That's about the only way you can be assured that the security is intact. Well, I want to talk about the encryption process, and I want to talk about the necessity of the encryption process in just a moment. But um, as I'm pretty sure the listeners can hear, there is a uh, difficult connection we're having with, uh, with, uh, with Robert on Vancouver Island. So we're going to try to get a hold of him by phone. As we're waiting, um, you noted earlier in your disclosure that you're involved with ZoomFile. Well, what, what, what's been Sock's involvement here? Um, well, we're doing the, uh, the marketing, obviously. Um, for the product, you know, some of the testing and, and, and web-based stuff. But um, one of the things, now I had to, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I thought you were jumping in with a question. Um, one of the things that I, I, I don't think um, Rob had, had had a chance to get into, and, and uh, of course, while doing the marketing, I have to look at what are the things that are unique here, and, and certainly before starting to put a bunch of our resources into something, um, you know, what, what's unique, what, what makes this difference? And I know you were chatting about Dropbox, and I know, Rob, I'm sure, discussed the more unsecured. You, you put something there, and it comes out, but it's, it's just living there. Uh, the yep. folks at Dropbox can see it. You know, there was, there was a hack a few months ago. I mean, it's, it's a great service. I use it for just stuff I don't care about. Um, that, that I just need to store in a, in a location. And, and he was talking about the encryption. Um, one of the things that I found really quite unique about the entire thing is rather than doing the typical encryption set, you know, the, like your, your, you know, your bank encrypts when you go to a web page or, or whatnot, um, is that he's actually developed a system for moving the encryption and compression system over onto your GPU. So for, for the nerds in the audience, basically, it's, you know, or, or the non-nerds, over onto your video card. Um, which is as faster RAM, more cores, faster processing, basically creating an environment where even out of a hosting facility, out of a, you know, no matter how big your pipe is, it's going to be the slowest point. You can have a, a gig pipe. It's going to be the slowest point if you have any kind of decent video card because the, the encryption and compression system um, and, and capabilities of your video card are, are so far above your CPU um, that it, it really makes it just a, incredibly fast. We can, you know, are, are benchmarking it um, 10 to 17 times faster than typical encryption methods that you could use. So we can do, uh, you know, at this point, or I guess they can do, and, and with, you know, our help in the marketing side, um, it, it can basically do things on, on virtually real-time, moving it to a new point where um, eventually we're looking at things like um, encryption of, of streaming media and things like that because it's so much faster. Okay, now earlier Rob touched on the importance of uh, encrypting documents such as contracts. Um, the studio is about to get very loud any second. I apologize for this. I live on a main street. Um, so Rob was mentioning the importance of encrypting uh, contracts. 
um, confidential documents, etc. In the practice of most uh, small, medium-sized businesses, where do you, where, where do you see the value of encryption, Dave? Um, well, that that is a, a funny one, and it, it really depends on on how you're using things. Like I'm a, I consider myself a, a small business. I am by all by all metrics. Anytime I'm sending things to my lawyer or from my lawyer. Um, I require it to be encrypted. I mean, this is, even if it's just as simple as here's your contract template, I don't want this thing getting released anywhere else when I'm signing a contract and sending it off. Now, I'm a, an overly paranoid human being. Um, and, and, you know, I may be paranoid, but it doesn't mean somebody won't screw me over, right? Taking that, that sort of mentality to things. If I'm sending files, um, you know, a, a zip version of a client site or, you know, even any, I mean, it's gotten to the point where anything with client names on it, it's such a simple mechanism to use. It's as simple as email that I might as well just encrypt this thing and know that I'm secured. If I'm moving my STE files from here to home and I want to send them to myself or, um, you know, any, any, basically anything with, with client information, I'll move it from, from one place to another encrypted just to know um, that I'm not going to have to worry about it. And the only person that's going to get it is me. And one of the nice things I like about it is when I send it, as soon as it's picked up, their system knows it and I get an email response. So if I send something to my lawyer, I get an email back as soon as they've retrieved it. So I know they've got it. Um, ah, really none, none of this, none of this read response thing, eh? No, no, exactly. It just it 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 knows it was picked up. It goes it was picked up. Fantastic. So now I know my lawyer's got it and I know it's they're actually viewing it right now or at least saved it to their desktop. I know they know it's there. Or if I send something to a client, I know they know it's there. Um so there's no gee, I didn't know or it was delayed or I got it. No, you I know. It's there. Uh, and you can send to multiple people that way. So there's there's a few interesting applications of it. Um, okay. Um, got a note from the studio. We have Robert back on the line, and I am um, back. Dave, your uh, your example of sending documents to your lawyer um, begs the question of Rob. Rob, encryption is a two way street. It has yeah. to be encrypted on my end, and then the person reading it has to be able to decipher the encryption. Well, that How was kind of where we've been sort of heading. We use the word "easy" as sort of our central touch point. It's it's pretty easy to make complicated software. It's very hard to make easy to use software. And one of the things is is that encryption, everybody knows it's a good thing. It's like brushing your teeth or getting a colonoscopy, but people don't really look forward to either of those things. And same with encryption. When you say encryption, the nerds in the room get really excited, but the everyone else in the room starts falling asleep. Uh, what we discovered was is encryption equals math, math equals boring, boring equals sleep. And the problem with encryption up till now has been that the people throwing it around have been the nerd crew. And they like it. They find this exciting, and they, they love nuance, and they like talking about all the different little things that go into it. What we found out was is that ordinary people just want to know it's there. They want to know that they can use it and that the product is, in fact, you know, encrypting it. They don't really care what the methodology is. They don't care what fantastic new breakthroughs you've made. What they want to know is that it's done what it's supposed to do. So what we did was is that we said, well, how do you make it so that on the sender's end it's super easy like email, and how do we make it so that the recipient on the other end it's super easy? In fact, it's just as easy as email or easier, so that when you do send a file, even though it's using this ridiculously complicated encryption, it's using something called PKI, which is public key infrastructure, 
it, it, it's it's done automatically so that the user doesn't actually have to know how it works to function it. There used to be something called PGP, which was pretty good privacy, not an inspiring name, um, which you could use for encrypting email back and forth. But you had to manually input keys and, and do a whole bunch of rigmarole. What we tried to do was make it automatic. So when you install the software, it creates your public and private key, uploads your public key, and so if anyone sends you a file using the email address associated with that public key, they automatically encrypt it, and you automatically decrypt it with your private key. You never have to touch it. So it's all the joy of eating sausage without having to know how the factory works. Well, you know, earlier earlier you noted that... Um People's eyes glaze over when they think about encryption. The math is too much. They just don't want to deal with it. But encryption is also thought of as that sexy, super secret spy stuff. Absolutely, yeah. There is that lovely cachet to it. And I mean, it's to to us, it's sort of like, you know, like you wear a seatbelt and you have insurance on your cars, not because you plan on getting in an accident, but in case you do. So we look at encryption as. This is the protective layer you put on your data, not because you're anticipating that bad people are after your stuff, but the possibility that something happens. And a lot of what we're transmitting now is not just the routine stuff of old days. Businesses are comfortable enough now to send research documents. And we know this because we operate large files ASAP. So we've had uh, half a million files sent in the past year and a half through it, and so we kind of get an idea of what companies are sending. And when you've got government offices sending documents, medical facilities sending documents, you know, we've had the White House use our, our, our web-based service. So we, we get an impression of what people are comfortable sending unprotected when, in fact, the vast majority of those documents should be protected. And the best way to do it is to just do it automatically and not really complicate things for the user. You've had the White House use uh, your product, so I guess that kills my next question. Does your product conform, uh, conform with uh, U.S. law, U.S. Um, with, with Homeland Security? Patriot, Patriot 1, 2, and 3. Well, what, we've, what we're doing about compliance is that compliance and privacy are in kind of complicated um, relationships right now. Um, there's the EU data directive which says that all European data is supposed to stay in Europe. Um, so that kind of causes some interesting problems because things like Dropbox, they're all built off of Amazon's um, AWS system, which is all U.S.-based. So technically any European companies using it are breaking this EU data directive if it involves any client-related information. So what we have to do is is to take a step back and say, okay, what, what puddles are you trying to protect? So right now all our infrastructure is housed in Canada, so everything is, is done under Canadian law. And right now, British Columbia has the most stringent privacy laws in Canada, and Canada is one of the top three for privacy laws on the planet. And so what, the first thing we do is we don't ask for a whole bunch of unnecessary information when you register. We only ask the basic stuff to get you started. We use PayPal and uh, SASE for doing the payments, so we never see your payment info. When you send something to someone, the information's encrypted before it's transmitted, We've already uh, sent the software to the U.S. State Department to get our export approval on it so that we could uh, take the Mac app into the App Store on Apple. So they're well aware of what we're doing. And and there's a lot of things that you have to do with encryption to just keep the government happy. And the United States is what they call a Category 4 country. Um, There's one through six, and China's in number six. Um, Canada's in the number one category, which is rather 
exciting to be in that and that's that that encryption is generally considered perfectly acceptable in all circumstances the u.s less so um, just because of their sensitivities okay well i'd like to come back and explore um how you actually there's a number of things i want to explore um how you bring a product to, product to market how you um, navigate various jurisdictional laws um sure. how you deal with different different types of clients and stuff but before we do that we have to take a break here on uh, Webcology on webmasterradio.fm. So on behalf of Dave Davis from Beatstock SEO, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. We're joined by Robert Gonyal from, uh, Zoom, from Zoom File, and we're going to be back on Webcology after these messages. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology. We'll be back after this short break. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. Johnson, what's this mantis I keep hearing about? Do we need to call an exterminator? No, sir. Moby Mantis is our new SMS marketing tool. SM what? SMS. Text messaging. Moby Mantis lets us communicate directly with our customers in real time. We can send promos, coupons. It even lets our customers market for us by sharing offers with their friends online. It's been great for business. Hmm. Sounds expensive. Actually, I sign us up for an extended free trial. It hasn't cost us a dime. Good work, Johnson. I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition. To get your free extended trial of Moby Mantis, text RADIO to 21691. That's RADIO to 21691 for Moby Mantis. MySEOTool.com is your all-in-one SEO management resource. MySEOTool.com makes it easy to optimize and oversee all of your SEO efforts. Line-by-line detailed reports help you identify any problems and show you how to fix them. MySEOTool.com is completely automated. Once you use it, you will see a rise in your search rankings and traffic. Try MySEOTool risk-free today. Go to MySEOTool.com. MySEOTool.com. WebmasterRadio.fm. Get addicted. Get ahead. Commercials off. Now back to Webcology, only on webmasterradio.fm. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Well, welcome back, everybody. This is Dave Davies from Beanstalk SEO, joined as always by Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media, and this time by Mr. Robert Gagnon, or as Jim refers to him, Dr. Evil from Zoom Data Services. Um, Rob, I'm not sure where uh, where uh, Jim was going to go with his question line, but I I decided I wanted to jump right in here. What... Uh, what sort of hurdles were you facing? And of course, I was part of some of these, but heck, I'm sure there's some things I don't even know were going on. But when you have a free product, as you do with large files ASAP, you have the the idea yep. for a 
paid product that's that's more secure, faster. It takes the advantages of a of a software based system. What sort of hurdles do you counter it, right up to the to the launch there last Tuesday of it? Um, what what do you have to face and plan for? Well, basically, there's been a whole bunch of them. Um, just starting with when we first got started with the, the web based service in 2006. Um, there was a, a real prejudice um, sort of early decade onwards about software. And so everybody wanted to do stuff in browsers. And if it wasn't a website, people didn't really want to um, be involved with it. But the, the, the browser solution is, is not the best way to deal with files. And the one thing that we really noticed was the trend on the file size was that it was just hockey sticking. So every time they release a, a better um, you know, camera, CMOS, all of a sudden now the file size doubles. And we're starting to see where the average file size was about 200 megabytes about three years ago. It's 700 megs now. So we're going to be pushing the average size of a gig plus. And what you start running into with anything browser-based is at about gig and a half, the browser's sort of develop Alzheimer's and forget what they're doing. So reliability is real problematic. And when you're dealing with people that are spending, you know, upwards of six to eight hours on a web page to upload a, a, a really big file, they get kind of grumpy when it doesn't work. So software um, was the way to do it. So we, we had to address a whole bunch of issues, hiding the security, generating the keys, doing a whole bunch of things that were before possible and really complicated separate puddles, but trying to unify it all on an app. And, and luckily, we've got a great team. So one of the things that they did was they created an app that's about four megabytes. And when you think about it, it's a four meg app that also has a supercomputing component that if you've got the right kind of graphics card, we can accelerate the encryption and compression over a thousand percent. So it's supercomputing, it's high security, it can handle any size of file, and it's only four megs. So there was a lot of things that had to go into this to make it absolutely possible. And then the, the, the differences again, you know, the, the free service versus paid service, that's a pretty big um, barrier to, to, to overcome what, what's the value proposition. How do you overcome that? How do, how, how do you value the, the, the service after that? You know, after after using the free model for so long. Well, what you do is you look at the industries that have either a liability component or they have a care of duty component um, that goes beyond you know the benefits of a free service. So, if you're sending pictures to grandma, there's no liability. If, on the other hand, you're sending patient records, um, they've established that there's about a seven million dollar an incident um, cost um, for a privacy breach with a health record. So when you look at the, the benefit cost savings in, in the medical industry, it's huge. Um, lawyers are just at the cusp of this. Their, their associations are saying, hey, you know, when you're communicating with your clients, use encryption. Well, that's kind of like saying if you're attacked by a bear, teleport. Great suggestion. <laughs> How do I do it? So who are your natural clients? You've mentioned, you've mentioned medical facilities. You've mentioned uh, lawyers. Um who else out there are are you thinking of when you when you you've think got of these are the guys who you've use got the all anybody that's dealing with confidential so financial services, banking, healthcare, range of it, government services, um, and again provincial, state, federal, whatever. Um, but also when you look at the big media uh, reservoirs, so uh, film, television, audio, uh, music, we have a lot of music and film people using the free services. 
But again, when they're dealing with raw files that are in the two to three gigabyte range, they can't use the website anyways. And then for those guys, because they're usually based in really big urban centers, hopefully by the midsummer, we're going to be in a new facility um, down in the States for our U.S. facing customers that will be able to offer studios in Los Angeles dedicated 10 gigasecond connectivity if they want it. That is phenomenal. Now, you just yep. noted that you're opening a new facility in the States. Is that for extra bandwidth? Or is that because you have to operate under a different regime? It's, it's prudent to keep American data within the United States because then everybody's playing under Patriot Act as their Congress had intended it to be. Um, it allows us then to segregate the other traffic through our Canadian data center, so it protects the people that are not in the United States from Patriot Act. So it's sort of a great compromise in data center geography to say that Americans are subject to their law. They should be subject. It's not our job to try and circumvent that, but by putting this, um, the node in the United States for American traffic, um, it, it's coincidentally also you know, plugged into what we can only describe as the most staggeringly scary data center in the world. So we can offer things out of the U.S. data center that we cannot literally offer anywhere else on planet Earth. And Dave, I remember you telling me you had a religious experience <laughs> walking through a data center a few months ago, and I'm betting this is the one. Uh, yeah. the, these are related, yes. Yeah, this facility is guarded by former Force Recon Marines that are armed. And I've never, you know, Jim knows me from um, hosting facilities out in the coast here. I've never seen anything like this. This is literally if Darth Vader built a data center, this would be it. Excellent. Well, guys, we have... perfectly with my personality, as Jim can attest. <laughs> I am indeed. Um, Rob, otherwise known as Dr. Evil, I'm sorry. We only have a couple seconds left. Um, and there's so many things I just want to touch on. I mean, you just said that you're protecting people internationally from the Patriot Act. That's a, if you don't live in the States, that's actually quite a big deal. It's um, a huge deal. And we're not protecting them from it. We're just ensuring that they don't really get exposed to it. <laughs> you'll, you'll notice uh, the subtle lawyering that I just used. Um, <laughs> last quick question is only because it's a uh, quick yes and no answer. Um, yeah. are, is any... F- parts of the Canadian government using your system yet? Could you repeat that? Are any parts of the Canadian or provincial governments using your systems yet? We're currently in discussions about that because it would improve their own operational security significantly. So we'll just say that. Brilliant. Well, Rob Guignol, Zoom file, congratulations. Um, Wish we could talk more about it. We're going to have to bring it back on the show, but that's the closing That's the closing music. Friends, you've been listening to Web Culture here on webmasterradio.fm. On behalf of Dave Davies from Beanstalk SEO, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. We will join you again next week. <laughs>